Pastor Xavier Reese offers this one sure way, guaranteed to keep you out of trouble. The word is a lamp to my feet and light unto my path, Psalm 119.105 says. It keeps me from stumbling, from tripping. The word warns me of danger and destruction, Psalm 19.11. By these, your servant is warned, it says. Oh, how many warnings are in scripture. Be careful, flashing yellow lights, flashing red lights, more precious than gold and silver, sweeter than the honeycomb. Welcome to Simple Truths, the daily half-hour study of God's Word with Xavier Reese, Senior Pastor of Calvary Chapel of Pasadena, California. God is not the author of confusion. Well, then why do so many Christians find staying out of trouble so perplexing? Pastor Xavier says the solution is simple. All we need for clarity and direction in life is the light of God's Word, the Bible. Let's find out more as we join him in this journey from the book of Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy chapter 17, verses 14 through 20. I've entitled the message, To Rule, You Must Be Ruled. Moses was a prophet like no other to whom God spoke face to face. But now he is coming to the end of his life. And he is preparing the children of Israel to possess the land. And so he proclaims to them God's requirement for a king who would rule over them. In verses 14 through 20. Remember they have spent 430 years in Egypt. The crossing of the Jordan would mark the beginning of a life of faith that would have to continue in the life of promise. Notice secondly that the request would come from the people. The time would come when they would think they outgrew God and they knew better. Listen to their words. I will set a king over me. What a tragic day it is when Christians say, I will set a king over me. The flip side of that is this. Listen to it well. I will not have God rule over me. Where we keep going down the line and God has done so much and we think that we have learned so much and that no longer do we need God. Now I can take hold of my life myself. Now I can call the shots because I've got power. I've got wisdom. And so there came a time Samuel was the intermediate, the transition, if you will, from the judges to the king. And so they said, now, Samuel, you know, we want a king like all the other nations. Samuel went on to warn them about the cost to their sons and their daughters and their provisions if they had such a king in verses 9 through 17 of that same chapter, 1 Samuel 8. He said, he's going to take your sons and take them to war. They're going to serve him. He's going to take your daughters and they're going to be the servants and maids. He's going to take a portion of all your harvest and everything else to equip his kingdom. And what did the people say? They said, oh, it's all right. It's okay. We, it's okay. Oh, we so flippantly commit ourselves to, to the warnings. Ah, it's all right. And then when the, when the consequences come, we say, oh, how could I? You know why? Because we have the immediate benefit in mind and not the long-term consequence. And so the requests came from the people. But notice thirdly in verse 15 that the requirements would have to be met. The king, first of all, who was to rule over them, would have to be chosen by God. Saul was the people's choice, not God's. You ever pick that up in Scripture? He was a head taller than all, handsome, 
a Benjamite, 1 Samuel 9, 1 and 2 tells us. The people were pleased with the outward appearance, but God looked upon the heart of Saul. The people's choice, always far less in value than God's choice. The prophetic announcement of a king is a picture of each of us desiring to rule over his own life. Mm, what a danger. Then he gives to us the prohibitions for a king. Verses 16 and 17. Notice first in verse 17, the first portion, he was not to multiply horses to himself. Horses were equivalent to military power. Horses would bring about self-confidence and pride. I am sufficient. I can do this. I can do that. Ooh. Notice secondly, he was not to cause the people to return to Egypt and multiply horses. So he wasn't to multiply horses for himself and also the people. Egypt is a type of the world, always in Scripture. Egypt is the place of bondage in their past as well as ours. Is what we were brought out of. Thirdly, he was not to multiply wives to himself. God's ideal is proclaimed in Genesis, one man for one woman, creating a home to reflect God's love, his care, and his holiness. Genesis 2, 24 and 25. For this cause shall a man leave his father and mother and cleave to his wife, and they two shall become one flesh. The specific reason given is that these wives would turn his heart away from God. Very simple. Very simple. Notice fourthly, he was not to multiply silver to himself. The riches of money bring uh, many temptations, snares and foolish and harmful lusts which drown men in destruction and perdition, 1 Timothy 6, 9 says. The love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. 1 Timothy 6.10, all kinds of evil. Money opens doors. Money is power. Money is deceptive. Remember the rich young ruler? He went away sad because Jesus says, one thing you lack, go sell all that you have and give it to the poor. And he walked away sad because he had great riches. Mark 10.21 and 22. You see, he has said, you know, I, what must I do to gain eternal life? He thought that you gain eternal life by doing certain things. He was on the religion of works. But then Jesus put his finger on his heart. He says, go sell all that you have and give to the poor. Now, I am positive that if he would have said, all right, Jesus, Jesus would have said, you know what? Forget it. He wanted him to see his heart. Money. What an awesome thing. Not wrong in itself. I make it wrong. My attitude towards it. What I do with it. What I don't do with it. How I use it. Now the prohibitions were fulfilled in Solomon. As much as we saw them fulfilled in Saul. In the first portion. And if you ever read 1 Kings chapter 9, 10, and 11. You get a lot of this information in there. I'll just give you the verses. Um, but he multiplied horses by exporting them from Egypt as well as chariots, and then he sold them for a profit to all the kings of the Hittites in Syria in 1 Kings 10, 24, and 28. So not only did he multiply horses to himself, but he saw a lucrative business. And God says, don't mess with Egypt. Sometimes Christians get mixed up in the world and say, well, you know, I've got this and I'm making money. People call me to here at the church all the time. You know, I've got a good thing, Amway, this and that. You know, I want to just help people who don't have a job and all that. We don't merchandise God's people. 
Even if it's completely legitimate, I don't do that. Because the church is not a place for business. The ruins of the city of Megiddo reveal the large stables that Solomon had. Thousands. But not only that, he multiplied wives to himself also. It says he loved many foreign women, the daughters of Pharaoh, the women of Moab, Ammon, Edom, Sidon, and the Hittites. 1 Kings 11.1 1. Solomon, what are you doing? You're unequally yoked. God says, they're going to pull your heart away from me. Now, some of you have been victims like that. You've been disobedient. And you went out and you got hooked up with somebody who wasn't a Christian. And you got involved. And you got married. And now you're unequally yoked. Or you went out there and you messed around and you got burned sexually because you were unequally yoked. Solomon was no different. And mark it well, he was called the wisest man on the earth. It's always amazing what stupid things wise people do and say when they don't walk with God. He had 700 wives. I'm not done yet. 300 concubines. Busy man. But they turned his heart away, listen to this, when he was old. 1 Kings 11, 3 through 4. Mark well how many of the kings and men in the Bible fell when they were old. You see, we have records of young men falling also, but the majority of the teaching is in the old. You see, you get to a place where you walk with God and you think you've got it together. And that could never happen to you because after all, you know, you've walked with God all these years. Oh, be careful. Let him who thinks he stand take heed lest he fall. When he was old, his heart was turned away from God. Oh, I'm in more danger every day I live. Do you know that? In danger of trusting my own strength, my own abilities. He multiplied silver to himself. The drinking vessels of Solomon were all of gold, not of silver, for it was accounted as nothing in the days of Solomon. 1 Kings 10.21 Silver was as nothing. That's how wealthy he was. King Solomon surpassed all the kings of the earth in riches and wisdom. 1 Kings 10.23 says. Mm. Perhaps we don't multiply horses to ourselves to be self-sufficient apart from God. But we do it in different ways. We can trust in our abilities to be resourceful after the worldly manner. That excludes God. It's a compromise. We can boast in our finances and assets to survive in the latter years. We can worry constantly about losing what we have. And you can continue that the list. There's many different ways that we can trust in our own might and say we're trusting in God. Perhaps some of us point people more to the world than the Lord by our example and speech. There is no real difference between ourselves and the person who knows not God, except that we go to church. I mean, if you put it side by side with somebody else, it'd be hard-pressed to choose who the Christian was. Outside of church, we talk the same, we look the same, we, we discuss things in the world about the same. There's really no difference. The example of compromise that we give is duplicated in the life of the others who now call themselves Christians. 
And they're just like us instead of just like Christ. Perhaps our faithfulness to one husband or one wife is only the outward boasting, but not the reality of the heart. You are living in regret of your marriage and wish you were married to another, resulting in a heart being turned away from God. Because if you're not right with your mate, you certainly aren't right with God. And if you're going to be right with your mate, it's because you're right with God. Notice thirdly the priorities of the king. Verses 18 through 20. First, he was to be a man under God's authority. When he sat on his throne, he was to recognize that God put him there. Oh, what a simple truth, isn't it? That wherever you are, God has put you there. That it is his authority over your life. The job that you have, do you think that you really are smart enough to, to have that job on your own to keep it? Remember, he put Joseph second in command when he was sold as a slave. Oh, I should be so aware of God's authority over my life. The king was God's choice. He was not perfect, but he was to be one like his, the brethren. He was to always remember that he was there by the privilege of being under God's authority. Also, when he sat on his throne, he was to possess a copy of God's word in order to rule on God's behalf. Mark that well. He was to rule on God's behalf. He was not to rule as if he was God. What a danger it is when power is given to each of us, is it not? You want to see the, the purity of a man's heart, you give him a little power, and let's see what he does with it. Some of you work in some places where a guy gets promoted real fast and he gets a little power. Boy, watch out. Do you use it to serve others or do you use it to serve yourself? God alone knows the evil heart of man. That's why he puts these prohibitions. He warns us. God alone could give such a marvelous document to be ruled, which is his word. Do you realize how amazing this book is? How much wisdom it has? You are to be so saturated in God's word that whatever you're doing, whatever you're thinking, the Holy Spirit would plaster five to ten scriptures across your mind to tell you, don't do that. Knock it off. Get back. Protection. Or an instance will come to your life and all of a sudden you remember, well, you know this parable, this and that, and you would apply it to your life. But also when he sat on his throne, he was not to see a separation between the civil and the spiritual the priests would give him a copy of the same standard they possessed. As you look to the foundation of this nation, our founding fathers, they knew that you cannot separate the civil from the spiritual. It's a matter of fact, it was the spiritual that gave birth to the civil in our Constitution and not the reverse. The civil will always cut off the spiritual. It's the spiritual that births that which is civil with justice. Study your constitution. Study the word of God. Study the life of these founding fathers. The law was given to Moses by God at Sinai. The law was given to the people by the priest. And the priest gave the law to the king. Now notice secondly, he was to be a man 
of the word. Okay, the first was under God's authority. To allow himself to be ruled. Now, he's to be a man of the word. Verse 19, the first point says, The word was to be with him at his access. To be familiar with it, to be resourceful with it, and to be one with it. Are you familiar with the word of God, Genesis to Revelation? If somebody opened up the Bible, 1 Kings 10, would you be able to tell them what's going on? If they opened to the book of Obadiah, Obahu, get familiar with him. You're going to be an attorney. When he comes up and he says, listen, have you read my book? You say, well, who published it? Moody Press? Get familiar with these guys. The word was to be read and studied all the days of his life, it says. Now, it doesn't expound why, but let me give you just couple of things to think about. First, to grow in knowledge. Knowledge of the Word. Aware of our sinfulness, aware of our foolishness, aware of God's wisdom, aware of His protection, and man, we just drank it up. But secondly, to develop in wisdom. Now I know how to think. Now I know how to choose because of what I know. And thirdly, to mature in age. And with age, I don't remain the same. I continue to grow and develop over and over and over again. And lastly, to yield to God's love. I'm in this word that talks about God's love all the time, how much he loves the sinner, how he died for the sinner, how he loves to restore, how he loves to be merciful, his love. But not only was he to be a man of the authority and a man of the word, but he was to be a man of God, which is the product of the first two. A man of God. Look what he says there at the, verse 19, the end, and verse 20. First, one who fears the Lord, his God. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom and knowledge, Proverbs says. Chapter 1, verse 9, and chapter 9, verse 10, I believe. Fear. Do you fear God? Or do you fear the consequences? There's a difference. One who is careful to observe all the words of the law and the statutes. One who is committed. One who is sold out. If the king did not fear God, do you think the people would? If the king was not careful to observe all the words of the laws and statutes, do you think the people would? Of course not. One who is not lifted up above his brethren. Oh, so easy. You're king. Get proudful. Lift it up. Well, God chose me because, um, you know, he knew I was committed. Oh, really? <laughs> so easy to get puffed up, huh? It doesn't take much to get puffed up, does it? We love compliments, right? And you walk in church and say, boy, you look tremendous today. And you go, oh, well, thank you. I, I made your day. <laughs> That's it. One who has not turned to the right or to the left from the commandment. Stability. If the king was not stable, you think the people would be? One who prolonged the days of his kingdom and his children in the midst of Israel as evidence of God's favor and blessing due to obedience. Oh. He was to be a man of God. God appeared to Solomon one day and he said, Ask of me anything you want and I will give it to you. And Solomon said, Give me an understanding heart to judge your people in order to discern between good and evil. 
And therefore God gave him not only that, but everything else. 1 Kings 3, 5 through 13. What would be your request if God said to you this morning, whatever you ask, I will give it to you. What would it be? Boy, what a revealing truth it would be of my own life. Heavy. If I'm going to lead others, I must understand that I am a man who is under authority, God's authority. God help me that I think because I am this that I can boss people around and people have to bow down to me. Oh no. I am the servant of all if I want to be great. His authority over my life is absolute. No exception. His authority leads me for my safety and my good. I understand that. His authority is based on his word. He cannot alter it. If I am to rule over my house in a loving manner as Christ over the church, then I need to know God's word. The word is a lamp to my feet and light unto my path, Psalm 119, 105 says. It keeps me from stumbling, from tripping, from seeing the pitfalls. The word warns me of danger and destruction, Psalm 1911. By these, your servant is warned, it says. Oh, how many warnings are in Scripture. Don't be unequally yoked. Don't walk in the flesh. Don't do this. Don't do that. Continue. Be careful. This, that, all the warnings. Flashing yellow lights, flashing red lights. The Word gives me wisdom for decisions in life. Psalm 19, 7. More precious than gold and silver. Sweeter than the honeycomb. Hmm. If I'm going to lead people to Christ, then I need to be thoroughly familiar with God's Word. Thoroughly familiar with God's Word. First, to give an answer to every man for the reason of the hope that lies in me with meekness and fear, 1 Peter 3.15. So I can point people to Christ. Give them a reason for why it is that I believe in the hope that I have. But also, to run my home Love my wife. Love my children, Ephesians 5, 21 through 33. And the principle is submission to the Lord. Submission mutually husband to wife. Submission mutually as family to the authority of God. But also to be a benefit to my church. Hebrews 10, 24, 35 says that we are not to forsake the gathering of the saints of manner as some is, provoking one another to love and good works. You see... I will be there, committed. I will be active in the church. I will be praying for the church. I will be giving of myself and of my resources to the church. I will be there. I am the church. How do I know that? Because I know God's word. I am familiar with God's word. And so the priorities of the king are of the greatest benefits to each of us. Hmm. The proclamation of God's requirement for a king to rule over his people was marked by these three important elements. Oh, they are so applicable to us. The prophetic announcement of a king is a picture of each of us desiring to rule over our own lives. The prohibition of self-sufficiency and compromise for a king are applicable to each of us. And the 
priorities of the king are of the greatest benefit to all of us. May God give us wisdom and the good sense to let him rule our lives. Pastor Xavier Reese with a gentle reminder about the importance of serving the King of Kings. And you can request a copy of today's challenging study called To Rule, You Must Be Ruled. We're making it available on CD for just $4. And this message also includes what we heard the last time we were together. Now, the title to ask for once again is To Rule, You Must Be Ruled. Or simply mention today's date when you write Simple Truths, 2200 East Colorado Boulevard, Pasadena, California, 91107. Or to make a request by phone, call 800-926-1485. Again, that's 800-926-1485. Or the address once again is Simple Truths, 2200 East Colorado Boulevard, Pasadena, California, 91107. And please be sure you include the call letters of this station when you contact us. Well, what are the consequences of disobedience? Find out when you join Pastor Xavier Reese for the next edition of Simple Truths. Simple Truths with Pastor Xavier Reese, a daily half-hour broadcast, is a radio ministry of Calvary Chapel of Pasadena, California. www.calvarychapelpasadena.com 